Welcome to One Man's Ethos. Today, Tony welcomes Alan Shearer, photographer, diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and host of Still Focus Podcast. For more information on Alan, please visit alanshearerphoto.com. This is One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandarich Podcast. I just lost a friend probably two months ago to it. And, uh, and that really was kind of, and it was actually before I think you and I had contact. So, yeah, I think we talked a little bit about that. Yeah. I think we talked a little bit about him passing and, and how yeah. difficult it is not, not knowing how you could have done anything differently. Right, right. And I'm sure it's, it's a lot of the same feeling that people have uh, with somebody who dies from, you know, the actual poison of alcohol or overdose of drugs or whatever the case may be. Um, it's kind of like when the pain gets too much or the voices get too much in my head or depression kicks in or the highs are too high and the lows are too low. It's like at some point, if you get a good, if you get a bad luck stream of bad thing happens, bad thing happens, bad thing happens for some people, it can put them over the edge and, and where they just say, you know, enough's enough. And, you know, that's uh that's not where we want to go as far as a solution. Right. I mean, there's so many stigmas surrounding all of it. It doesn't matter what it is. The struggle, the struggle is real. It's not, it's not made up. It's, it's not uh, candy coated or. (sighs) So really, so really if I knew, and I know some, because I've done some research on, bipolar because I was like hey I might be bipolar <laughs> you know as far as some of the the behaviors I have in the right, and the characteristics emo- emotions and 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 things that are key factors or, or things to look for um if I knew nothing about that diagnosis or that it, that would be considered a disease correct the mental right. illness disease right. it's just, right. it's, yeah. it's it's uh, no different than chemical. Cancer. It's a chemical. Right, it's a chemical imbalance. Yeah. It's yeah. a it's a it's a breakdown of the human spirit, basically uh, right. mental illness. And it doesn't matter if it's bipolar or schizophrenia or depression or anxiety. Uh, you know. So uh, if I knew nothing, or if a person listening, you know, to this knew nothing about, um, you know, the disease of by, you know, being diagnosed with bipolar. I'm not even sure if the phrase bipolarism is a phrase uh, or being just, you know, diagnosed with being bipolar. How would you explain that to somebody? Well, it's, you know, it's uh, on one end, you know, when I was, when I was younger, it was uh, the highest of highs, right? You get those manic episodes and I, I always felt, you know, and I know you probably felt this way a lot about things in your life is I could jump off a top tall building and I could land on my feet, right? I could, you can do that was, too. Right. You know, that's a feeling. It's like the feeling, that feeling, like there's nothing that I can't do. You know, if I was playing pickup football with my friends and we were playing tackle football, nobody was going to stop me. Like if I took the kickoff, I was going all the way down the field. It didn't matter. You could hit me with five, six guys. I was not stopping. You were going to, you were going to have to do something out of the ordinary to stop me from doing what I wanted to do. And that's go to the end zone without ever having to take a snap. Right. That, the, right. That's the kind of feeling it was. It was, 
if I was on the baseball field, there was nothing that I couldn't do. If I was on the basketball court, it doesn't matter where I was. I could hit that shot. It didn't matter if I was going to miss it. I thought, and I felt, and I rationalized and perceived that you want me to have the ball. Right. You know? And, and so on the other end, it was, everything was so like when it was low, it was completely destructive. The world sucked. Get me off to this planet. I don't want to be here. Why am I here? What am I doing? You know, nobody loves me. I'm going in the garden to eat worms, you know, all this stuff. Like that. So the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And what I've learned today is I don't want to be high and I don't want to be low. I want to find that balance in life to where I'm not overly excited for anything. I want to appreciate. I want to accept. And I want to learn from each moment that I choose to be part of because every day is a choice, not a requirement. And that's what I've learned. I've learned that it's, I have to make a choice every day to be here because life is hard. And especially this year with everything that we're going through and not having a drink to support me through that, yeah. especially now in this, in this pandemic oh, yeah. of life that we're in right now, it takes a lot more awareness. It takes a lot more uh, inflection. It takes a lot more balance and I think as, as someone who has lived with bipolar disorder my whole life, but was only diagnosed in 2001 at 27 years old, um, that bipolar is this thing, right? It's this nasty, nasty demon and angel on your shoulder mm -hmm. telling you to do things you probably shouldn't be doing, right? You know, I was like, when I was a good drinker, man, I, I I would try to, you know, we'd have drinking contests and stuff. And I, and I would down a 32 ounce Guinness in 2.9 seconds just to right. prove that I could. Right? right. And if anybody wasn't doing something, give me the ball. I'll do it. Give me, you know, give me the, stop talking about it. Right. I'm going to do it. You know? Right. That was the thing, you know, there's no bigger enemy than myself on myself. But boy, there was nobody that was more willing to do something that somebody else was bitching and moaning and whining and complaining about than me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that, that I saw that too much in my household was people were bitching about things, but they were never taking action upon it to do something about it. And so bipolar gave me, gave me plenty of leeway to, to be like, I'll do it. I'll go tell that person what you just said something about them. And, and then you can deal with the fact that you right. didn't. <laughs> you have to pay the consequences. Right. Right. Because there were no consequences for me. Right. The consequence for me was being alive. The consequence for me was waking up in the morning. So what am I going to do today to, to right. deal with the demons and, and, and all the things and never feeling good enough. And I was diagnosed bipolar too. So that's, it's a little bit more subtle than the, than the, the real manic side of bipolar one. I didn't even know that there was a like. Yeah, so there's issue. so yeah, so there's levels. There's okay. levels of it. I'm more empathetic, right? Okay. I'm an empathetic person, and I just cared so much about everybody else. I took their feelings on, right. you know. And the doctor that diagnosed me at the Cape Cod Psych Center in Hyannis um, said, "Alan, you're not a bad kid, and you're actually not sick. You just feel so much. You you feel for everybody else. You want things to be okay, and so you take this all on your shoulders. You." you want the world to be what you see through the rose colored glasses you mm. choose to wear, but who doesn't, who yeah. doesn't want the people that they love the most to succeed, to, to, to not be hurting, to, to, to not be 
stunting their own growth or stunting my growth or or destroying who I am trying to be as a person and destroying themselves in the process. And so, you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that on, on like, it was like, it was like February 21st of 2001 that I was diagnosed, I believe. And it just gave me a lot of answers. It gave me a lot of answers to a lot of questions that I had. Was I a bad kid? You know, was this it? Was, you know, was what I was seeing? What was I feeling? Um, the circumstances that I was living in, were they my fault? And this diagnosis gave me a hard, open, honest look into what I had control over and what I didn't. It was probably a relief. Uh, a, in a lot of cases, sure. Sure. Because yeah. I, I can really, in, in, in what you're describing, you know, almost. I mean, almost parallels with alcoholism or drug addiction. Um, I think that a lot, I mean, a lot of the things you described, I'm like, that is me. I mean, almost to the T and I am overly sensitive um, in both directions. It's like, I want every, everything and everybody to be okay. Um, but then why aren't they appreciating it? But then, you know, and then it's like that just vicious circle in, in my head and, and, and in my heart and in my, right. in your soul or whatever you want to call it. It's, and that's a, I mean, that, it, that does become a burden eventually if you don't know how to handle it. And if it's not, I imagine in some cases, probably in many cases, um, treated with medications, uh, depending on the severity or, or whether it's, you know, one or two or whatever. And I imagine that a big side effect or of bipolar is depression. Just like alcoholism is the big side effect is depression and, you know, not feeling good enough. Um, how do you, how do you step onto a football field of 80,000 screaming fans rooting for you and your team and you, and you feel like you're worthless. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's like, why do I feel like I'm not, like I don't deserve to be here? It, it kind of, it gives me goosebumps. It gives me tingles, you know, because I know what it felt like as a, as a, as a fan to, to watch you play football and, and, and not to know what you were suffering with, not to know what was driving you, not to know why you put yourself in those positions that you did as a young man to get yourself there, right? It was whatever it took to get yourself there. And, and, and me and my family being born to, to uh, major league center fielder, uh, Jimmy Pearsall and, and his bout with bipolar disorder and what he left behind and what I had to deal with once I was born. Um, I couldn't even be a boy in my family. I couldn't even be a boy. It was the hardest thing for me to be a boy because all I ever heard was men suck, men are assholes, you know? Um, and so I had to try to, man, I had to try to navigate. Um, you tried being, to survive. Yeah, I, I, I had to navigate, you know, you try to navigate to where they love you more than they hate you. Right. And it wasn't that they hated me. I, I just showed up, right? And I loved them and I loved them. I still to this day love all of them, but I can't really have relationships with any of them because they haven't dealt with all of their pain and anguish of their life. But 
<laughs> since I had a rationalization skill in my body, I tried to be the center fielder for the Boston Red Sox to hopefully help, hopefully take away some of that pain, right. bring baseball back to a place where they could enjoy it again and make a shit ton of money doing it. So I could give it to them. It was never about me. If it was about me, I would have played center field for the Boston Red Sox because I had that drive and that determination. And I was always willing to learn something more about the game of baseball. But I couldn't navigate that vicious circle in my head of, I, I need to do it for them. I need to do it for them. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. And that was the same struggle my grandfather had with his father. It was, Jim, we're never going to, we're not going to spend more than one year in the minors, right, Jim? You're, you're going to get to Fenway, right, Jim? You're, we're going to be a major league baseball player, right, Jim? It was never, Jim, you're good enough. Jim, you're amazing. Right. Wow, Jim, you're a hell of a Talk ball player. Sure. <laughs> and so, you know, my grandparents met in, uh, Scranton Wilkesbury, when he was playing in the minors for the Red Sox, he was signed right out of high school. It was your, it was your, that was your grandfather that played. Yeah, my mom's dad. Okay. Yeah, my mom's dad. Uh, she's the oldest of nine, so okay. he left nine kids and my nana without any money, and a, a shit ton of pain. And like, like I said, I, I had to try to navigate that. So, like, <laughs> I mean, my my parents shouldn't have been together. I mean, my parents were together because my 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 mom's last name was Pearsall. Who doesn't want to date? Jimmy Parasol's daughter who doesn't want to marry right. Jimmy Parasol's daughter and my father was a was a blatant alcoholic he was abusive and destructive and uh but that wasn't him I mean his right. father was even worse right. like if you look at my family tree <laughs> how am I still here all right mm -hmm. my my grandmother shot my grandfather straight in the chest with a revolver to protect herself and her children wow like I look at my life and I'm like, how the hell did I get here? How, how am I still alive? And, and how did I come out? You know, it's like, like that scene in, in Shawshank Redemption when he, when, he, when he crawls through the 500 yards of shit and he comes out clean on the other side. It's like, I, I keep going back to that. How did I get that? How am I the phoenix? How did I rise from the ashes? How did I give myself a chance? How did I allow myself to, to find a healthy, happy place? that wasn't available to me that I never saw that was, that was not part of my upbringing. That was not, and it was none of their fault. I don't blame anybody. Like that's the whole thing. I don't blame anybody for what we've gone through, what we've been through. I don't blame a damn human being for anything that anybody's been through. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It matters that we're all born into this world. And then we're asked to be something we have no idea how to be with. And there's, you know, Will Smith said it best, you know, you get eight manuals for your, t for your smart TV set, but you don't get a book when you have a child, right? You don't right. get any information when you have a child. It's the so, most important one. Right. And so, you know, bipolar disorder, I wasn't born with it. Was I susceptible to it? Yeah, because I, I'm an empathetic person and, right. and, and I want to love everyone, man. It doesn't matter if you're a, if you're a friend, an enemy, a stranger, I want to love you. I want to show you, I want to share with you because I understand right. how hard it is to be here. Yeah. And how, how long ago did, did, even though you probably had it longer than the diagnosis date. Right. Well, I just right. thought that Obviously, was my life, right? right? I just thought it was me. Right. I, I just thought I was a bad kid. This is you know, I was bold. Are. I was, I was right. bold. Like right. I was that bold kid. Like I said, right. man. You know, you wanted me on your pickup team. Right, right. right. You you would rather play with me than against me. Right. <laughs> right. Because I didn't care. 
There was like, no off button. I like guys like that. <laughs> well, right. But, and you're the same kind of a person. That's why we gel so well together. That's why we want to talk to each other. That's why we want to share information. That's why we want to get it out there to other people that so they can help them. Yeah. You know, it's, was it good for me to do those sorts of things? Probably not. You know, I tore my ACL playing a pickup football game on the baseball field at my college and I'd never been hurt before. Right. So that was, that was huge. I mean, this is so many different things yeah. that should have stopped me. Like I had to have total replacement ACL surgery, uh, all these things, I've broken ankles, all, all this stuff. And it's, a, I just keep driving, right? I just, and it, and that's, I just keep. Do you think that's, Alan, do you think that's caused or a big uh, cause of that is that mindset of I can do anything. And then, and then like literally being, you know, fearless and going out there and doing the action, but then it's just too much. Yeah, because you know you, you you have this build up to do anything, right? You have a build up to I'm going to get this done. You know, I've I've run 30 miles of a hill in in Brookline, Massachusetts, that you, you have a hard time running running three miles of. I would have a hard time driving up it, <laughs> right? Because it's got a 17 degree grade. It's it's this thing we were doing as a free fitness group, and I wanted to see how far I could go, and and I and I didn't. I went to try to do it one day, and I didn't reach that goal, so I made sure I set out to reach that goal on another day. And then I raised money for kids with mental illness to, to really make it nice. be something that I wasn't gonna not yeah. show up for. Yeah. And then when you do it, it's even more depressing because you actually, you actually set out, you put one foot in front of the other, you finished in seven hours, you started at 3.30 in the morning, finished at 10.30 and I, I think the thing, and I know, I know you know this, when you're in a crowded place of 80,000 people, you can't not get goosebumps and want right. to shine beside your teammates, beside right. the fans. And so I did this as part of the November Project Workout, which is a free fitness group that's actually in 52 cities around the world. Because I knew, even though I started at 3.30 in the morning, that people were going to show up at 6.30, that there was going to be hundreds of people running beside me while I was doing this thing. And then I was going to finish on my own. But during that time, I was going to be able to lift them up. They were going to be able to lift me up. And I was going to be able to take that energy through the last 15 hills that I was going to have to accomplish. And if you've ever been to Harvard Stadium, have you ever been to Harvard Stadium? No, they wouldn't let me on campus. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Michigan State. <laughs> so at, at Harvard Stadium, it's a, it's a horseshoe. Okay. And it's got... It's concrete. It's all built out of concrete. And so it has 31-inch stairs. It has 1,174 um, stairs in 37 sections. And so if you, if you go up and down mm -hmm. all the way around, it's 1,174 stairs. I did that for 300 sections in one day. Oh, my gosh. Because I needed to do something. Like those things, like I don't know if I can do them, but I'm going to give it a shot. Why? Because... I got nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. I should have been dead at 11. Yeah. I shouldn't be here today. So any, any time I get an opportunity to, to shine next to other people or shine for other people, that's what, that's what gets me the, you know, when I'm doing, if right. I'm doing it alone, it's a, it's a whole lot harder, but when you're doing it and there's energy and you can lift other people up, it's the best feeling in the world. It, it, there's no better feeling than those endorphins that are created, yeah. you know, from, from our own minds. Yeah. And I'm sure, you, and I'm, I'm sure you've gotten, you know, over, over 
time you've gotten emails or, or mess text messages or whatever of people or even even like messages in your social media that that are private messages dms or whatever and where people have said you know thank you for you know posting something or thank you for being at this event because it made an impact on me it, it, it you know and i've gotten those as you have gotten those and it makes you it makes me stop and go yeah it is worth it it is worth doing it and it's not you know it's like everybody wants to be nice and everybody wants to be like look at the good stuff i'm doing or look at the cause i'm doing it for and all this and all that and we all want we all want to be accepted and loved and 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 we want everybody to like us and we want all these things but when you get a message like that you know in the email or dm or something and you don't even think like and and what that person might be referring to might be something so in your mind minuscule but it made a huge impact on their life that is those are those you know what i call god shots or those aha like moments of the constant reminders of why we do what we do why we continue to carry the message whether it's about you know uh, bipolar whether it's about alcoholism drug addiction the opioid crisis doesn't matter what it is uh, depression, mental illness in general, um, that people are, you know, people are not alone. Uh, because when, when I got, when I went into treatment for uh, drugs and alcohol, I was, it was a relief to be like labeled. Like there was a name for something that I had. I just thought I was fucked up. Right now, I, I, I mean, to a degree, part of me is, is right. It's just immature. It's, um, it has, and part of that is because when the drugs started and the drinking started, that emotional uh, maturity stopped. And so it's way behind, right? Being aware of it is a huge step. And, and knowing and trying to work on it and, and getting myself better um, with the tools given to me uh, are, are you know, part of the solution. And but the the does the physical activity because it this does this for me does the physical activity for you and it doesn't have to be like the when you describe about you know going out and playing the football in the playground or the turkey bowl or whatever in the neighborhood um because you, you do want to pounce on your neighbor right, and tell them who's boss but even when you run the stairs by yourself and things like that, or things like that take, um, you know, strain and exercise physical, does that help calm the inner? Yeah. Because, because it exhausts it kind of. So what I've learned is an active body helps create a calmer mind because once you take action, those demons have no, have no control anymore. When, once the actions that you're taking, they take control. Like once you've decided, once you've found that 20 seconds of courage to do something for yourself, whatever it is, creatively or uh, physically or spiritually, it doesn't matter what it is. Once you've taken action, it doesn't even matter if it's just getting out of bed, putting your feet on the floor, going to brush your teeth, you know, wash your face, take a shower, all those little mundane things that we take for granted. Those are the, the real things that get your day going, right? I, I usually run, right? I'll usually run and I'll usually do, uh, functional training as well but like i've been alone doing it for so long it's harder than ever now to do it because i i don't have those fitness communities and things right no. next to me somebody to run with me um, my wife runs with me sometimes but it's like 
those those are hard because we're such social creatures. We're not we're not solitary creatures. I had to learn to become myself by being solitary, by by dealing with things on my own in my head, so that I could deal with things better socially. Right. But the greatest gift I ever gave myself in my life was to allow myself to be loved mm. by people who gave a shit enough to love me, you know, and, and stop getting in the way of that and stop trying to push it away because it's foreign to what I know. Right. Yeah. Um, or, or having that feeling of I'm not really worth, worthy of being loved. Right. Because I, I never felt worthy. But once I, once I became a good friend to myself, like once I, once I, you know, and it, it took me 37 years to realize that my best friend, my mentor, my champion, my hero needed to be me. Yeah. You know, it took me 37 years of my life to, to come to grips with all of my circumstances in the past, all of the things I was trying to do for everyone else that were never going to come true. It was just such delusions of grandeur. It was never going to be that. It just wasn't. If it was just baseball, right? like there was nobody who was more passionate on a baseball field than me. And I was going to do anything to get on base. I was going to do anything to steal second, steal third and steal home. I wasn't going to wait for you to drive me in. I was going to get myself in and I was going to take the whole other team with me on the way. Like that was me. Like that was yeah. the whole thing. You know, I was going to suck the air out of the place. Like if we, like that was me. If we played, if we played at another, in another city or another town and whatever, the, the by the end of it, the, the fans were going to look around and be like, what the hell just happened? Right. <laughs> right. Because that was me. And, and I loved the game. I loved the game so much because it was what I had in common with my family. It was what they did with me. They played with me. They all played with me. They all played baseball with me. So what was the one gift I had to give them back? I thought yeah, the man. one gift I felt I had to give them back was to stand on that field and to shine. Right. But it was the pressure and the stress and the, expectations I put on myself to do so got way in the way of any skill I had. Right. You know, all the skill I had was overmatched and overshadowed by the buildup of pressure I put on myself to do that. I was going to do that. Right. I was going to be the center fielder for the Boston Red Sox. Right. Didn't matter what it was. I just didn't, I couldn't support myself. And I don't think anybody else in my family wanted to see me do that. And it wasn't that they didn't want to see me do that. It's just they didn't want to see me do that because it, there was so much hurt and heartache in that. So it was a whole lot easier for them to tell me, quit, don't try. Right. Take it easy, Alan. You know, all I ever wanted was someone in my family to say, Alan, rip the freaking cover off the ball. <laughs> just rip the That's cover off the ball. That's what your inner voice is telling you. Right. Yeah. But I, I just was looking for that kind of, uh, emotional support. Right. But it was, that was impossible. So, you know, I, I don't look at my life and say, man, I wish it was different. Mm -hmm. I look at my life and say, wow, what an opportunity I have, what an opportunity I have every day. Like I don't take medicine. I don't go to therapy anymore. Right. I went, I, I struggled through psychiatrists, psychologists, and this isn't, uh, this is me. Like I, I, many people need psychiatrists. Many people need psychologists. Many, many people need to be held accountable in that way and medication and, and a lot of things. So I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying for me, it was a lot worse for me to continue on it than it was to find out why I was in pain in the first place and to deal with the root as opposed mm -hmm. to the symptoms. Right. And so 
from 2001 to 2008, I was seeing a psychologist, seeing a psychiatrist on uh, many different cocktails, some that would give me weight gain, some that I needed to, to have my kidneys checked because of, because of the amount of sodium in it, yeah. whatever. It didn't, it didn't matter. Those, all those things. And then I finally came to a decision in 2008 that it wasn't helping me. I, I was good for everybody else, but I wasn't myself. I couldn't really laugh. I couldn't really cry. Right. I couldn't be creative. Right. And so I, and thankfully I've had this ability to realize things in my mind. I've had this ability to slow down, stop. Whoa. Hey, Alan. Hi. How you doing? We need to do something different. We can't continue to go down this path if we expect anything to be different than it was. And so I stopped cold turkey, stopped taking medicine, stopped going to therapy. And I asked myself this, what can I do today to find out why I'm in pain in the first place? What's my fault? What could I change? What couldn't I change? What am I responsible for? How do I hold myself accountable? And why and how will it ultimately be my fault if I don't do something different? So from 2008 to 2010, I was still struggling the exact same way I was struggling before, but at least it was on my own terms of trying to, to find my purpose, my passion, my direction, whatever. And that was with the, and that, that two year period was, was with no meds. No meds, oh, except booze, right. except booze. It was a lot of booze, a lot of like, I should have been dead. Like, Which I is was, a depressant in itself. Yeah, so I was drinking a lot. Like I was, I mean, I was, like I said, I'm the kind of person that was like, hey, I'll show you that I can drink this 32 ounce of Guinness in, in, in 2.9 Well, is there any other way? Right, right. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Right. Yeah. But from two, so, so from 2008 to 2010, at least I, at least I understood that I was the problem. I was pissed at that. I was pissed that I was the problem. I was pissed that I couldn't just be the victim and blame it on somebody else. Right. So in 2010, I, it, I got to the point where I was 265 pounds Jeez. at, at 5'11". Right. You know, I'm happy at 175. Like I'm at 183 right now because I've been lifting heavier, eating, eating yeah, lots of peanut butter and satisfied. Right, right. I've been doing a lot of things, but I like my, my body is probably the best at about 175. I'm ripped. I'm, I'm, I'm good at my, my running is good. Everything's good. If I'm, if I'm at my, in my best shape, I'm running seven to eight miles a day and doing maybe, you know, a little bit of strength training to, to, to keep my body handling that pounding of, of running. Right. I was 265. I had just seen a girl leave my apartment that I didn't even know. And as I saw her taillights going, I finally said to myself, what the hell am I doing? Right. I went in the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, this can't be why God saved me when I was 11. This can't be my life. Like there's gotta be something more than this. I was like, is this all I have to offer myself? Is this all I had to offer the world around me? And thank and and thankfully, I'm always vulnerable enough to know the answer is no. The answer is no. I have so much more to offer. I have so much more to give. But I had to learn to hold myself accountable. I had to take responsibility for me, for what I do, for my thoughts, my feelings, and my actions. Right. And ultimately, it was gonna be my fault if I didn't do something more healthy with my life. And so 
I went to the gym workout world, got a $10 a month membership, right. went to sports authority and got a pair of running shoes. And I just started moving. And my motto was be better than yesterday and move forward and be a little gentler on yourself. Yeah. You might get a little bit farther. And I didn't know I'd get here. I didn't know I'd, I'd be talking. Right. Tony, I didn't know I'd be talking to you. Like if you told me in 2010 that I'm I'd just be having a guy. <laughs> but but to me, you're not. Right. All right. To me, you're you're a mentor, you're a guide, even though you didn't know it. Right. Even though you didn't know it. You were at the pinnacle of professional sports. And that's something I aspired to. Yeah. You fell, you got back up. You picked up a damn camera and you started shooting and you started creating. And that's me too. And you're dealing with your addiction. You're dealing with your pain and your mental illness and, and all of the shortcomings that were created because of the pressure, pressure and stress of your life. And you're trying to help pick somebody else up. Right. And that's me too. Yeah. So 10 years ago, I would have laughed. I would have said, you're out of your freaking mind. There's no possible way. Tony manager is going to want to talk to me. Why is that? Why is that guy who's got everything going? Right. Why would he want to talk to me? But I built me to a place where not only did you want to talk to me, you wanted to learn more about me. Yeah. And so that's why we're having this conversation today. Yeah. And that's why Absolutely. I'm vulnerable enough to allow others who are going to listen to this to get to know me, the real yeah. me. Well, there is so much strength. I mean, I believe there's so much strength in vulnerability, especially as a man. Um, you know, I, I'll say certain things and people will just be like floored that I say it because, or how I feel because, and it's, and, and when I say that, I mean, I'll say something that's vulnerable and, and they'll be surprised that I was, had fear because of a certain situation I, or, or I have a feeling of something, you know, where I'm inadequate or not good enough to do or, or to qualify for, or I don't fit in this group or that group. Or as a matter of fact, I don't fit in any group, you know, and luckily I, I fit in the 12 step group, right? I, luckily I fit into, I do fit into group, certain groups. Um, and it, it's, it's, you know, who you surround yourself with, as you know, is, is um, how you end up you know, kind of evaluating who you really are. Um, if I'm surround, you know, if I'm surrounding myself with gangsters, I'm probably running and gunning, right? I mean, I'm not going to Harvard, that's for sure, right? <laughs> hey, that's why I don't hang out at Harvard because I don't go to Harvard, right? I, I don't get, um, uh, that's why I just hang out at MIT, right? <laughs> but um, it's, uh the photography thing, you know, to now kind of let's blend into that. Uh, like our stories from everything we've talked about are, man, I'll tell you why they're so parallel in description and, and experience of what we've done, how we felt. Um, even though the illnesses, the, the disease might be labeled or called something different, the feelings and the emotions are very much almost spot on. Um, and, and it seems to me that you like myself have found a, a really kind of cool creative outlet with photography. 
um, because I was on your podcast, you know, a month or, or six weeks ago, and we talked photography, we talked a little bit about, I think, maybe addiction, but um, to learn, you know, more about you, I mean, I'm in the podcast as a guest on your podcast, and to me, you're more interesting to me than the podcast, like, than me being on the podcast, right? I'm like, I want to know more about you. Um, it fascinated me, which obviously uh, brings us to this podcast, my podcast. And uh, so there's always people cross paths. I, I, you know, I listen, I believe in God and, and, you know, some people are afraid to use the word God. I really don't give a shit. Um, I call it God. Um, if other people are allowed to say universe or, or Allah or whatever they want to call their God, that's fine. You know, that's totally fine. If that's what they believe in, that's fine. It, it, I don't push my God on anybody, you know, and, and, uh, I've always had that deep down inner knowing of a higher, that there was a higher power. And uh, even in the darkest days, I knew. And even in the darkest days, I never blamed that higher power. I, and I never blamed anybody. I actually did blame other people when I was in the midst of my, like in the height of my addiction. And, and But it was just because of fear and it was stupidity um it was a way of lashing back it was a, uh, being accused of something and then lashing back is the biggest red flag of obviously you know you're in denial and and and, and it's an obvious thing that presses you know buttons because you're lashing out and whether you're trying to distract with being vocally loud or physically throwing things around or, or causing a ruckus uh, it's because you want to get the topic off of that and the topic off of you um, where now it's, it's kind of like, if I don't want to put myself in that situation, don't, don't do that thing. And so the decrease is like 99% of those situations as it was when I was, you know, drinking and, and drugging. Um, but getting back to photography, we, we both love photography and, and, uh, I know the last time we talked and I kind of had to laugh after I, I was giggling to myself more than anything, because as weeks went by, <laughs> we talked about one of the things you had mentioned was one of the things you never really dabbled in was uh, indoor lighting or strobe photography or continuous lighting photography. I think in, in this case, it was strobes. And, and, and I kind of asked you why, and you just, I think you had said more or less to the fact that you just never really had the opportunity to, plus you love shooting outdoors and, and natural light stuff. It could be indoors or outdoors. And I think like, I love that freedom of that, you know, because it's just you and the camera and you can go anywhere and, and, and shoot anything. And I love that you can grab a couple lenses with you, or there's some days I will take the camera with one lens and that's it. Nothing else attached to the lens. So I'm forced to shoot in a certain perspective. And if I want to, if I'm shooting with a fixed lens, 50 millimeter fixed lens or whatever, 85, I'm forced to walk closer or further away to compose, you know, the composition. Um, so I love doing all that stuff. And, and you're maybe, I'm not saying this correctly, but your discomfort zone was strophotography. You were very comfortable. Yeah, it just, it was you have to understand the camera a whole lot more than, than just, you know, putting it on, 
aperture priority and going out there and shoot, shooting the, the brightest thing out there, you know, focusing mm -hmm. on the brightest thing out there and allowing the light meter to do the work for you in this, mm -hmm. in the studio, you have to be understanding and vulnerable enough to, to get into manual and uh, to, to fuck it up a few times and allow yourself to figure out what's going to be right for that lighting, what's going to be right for that subject's uh, skin tone. Mm -hmm. uh, just, just, there's just so much more that you have to understand that autofocus and light metering aren't going to be enough for. Right. I want to shoot people every day. Right. I want to shoot people every day for the one reason that when they look at the photo and they're like, that's me. Yeah. Because of the trust you build with them. And it doesn't matter if it's outside. It doesn't matter if it's in a studio. It matters that they trust you enough to give you that vulnerable side of themselves so that you can show them that their vulnerability is their greatest strength. Exactly. And, and that's the most beautiful picture is when they, be, when they let themselves become vulnerable. And it's, I always will use the phrase of just be yourself, just be yourself. I mean, don't be something that you're not because you know, you're going to look at the picture and be like, well, that's really not me. Although I like the picture, it's really not me. And, right. and I've only learned that from years of, of shooting and uh, when I've been shot or, you know, way back in the day when I was in the sports and that just demanded that kind of photography, you know, being the subject, um, I, I was always me with whatever genre that was with, whether it was for the SI cover or whether it was in the weight room, whether it was a story for a certain thing. And, he, and you know what, even even as early as, as 18 months ago when E60 did the, um, or ESPN did the E60 documentary, you know, we talked a lot about photography, but we also talked about the addiction and, and the career and the ups and downs of the career. You know, I look at that interview, like I've watched it two or three times since it aired 18 months ago. And and I and I and I watch it to evaluate. It's it's funny. It's always kind of like back of my head's always like get better at something, you know, progress, progress, progress. You know, I'll evaluate to see did I say um too many times? Did I say the word right, right, right? You know, and too many times it's just these little nuances, right? Or did I say more than I needed to say in a repetitive way? I just said it with different words. So I'll always evaluate myself that way. And I don't think that's being hard on myself. I just think that's trying to get better and be the best I can be. Um, but the thing that I found interesting was when I, when I do watch that, I really, it's like none of it is bullshit. It's really like, that's how I would answer the question today. And, and it's like, I didn't answer it to make friends. I didn't answer it. For me, the biggest thing was I, I wanted it at the end of the day for people to know the truth. And I wanted it, if it could, if this could help somebody like, you, you know, even one person and hopefully a lot more, then it's worth doing. It's worth doing. I didn't contact them and say, Hey, I think you guys should do an E60. They contacted me and they said, look, we're, we would like to do an E60 and um, they, they could do one without me, but they said, obviously, if you're involved in it, it's going to be more interesting because we're talking about the actual person or the subject. And I, I just told them, I said, look, is the only two conditions. Actually, I had three conditions. I said, actually, it was the, the main condition was 
at the end of the day, it's got to help somebody. I said, you can paint the, you know, bust picture, or you can paint a rosy picture. You can paint a comeback story picture. It, that's up to you guys. You guys are the pros of, at that. I said, you can't call me anything that they haven't called me already. So I'm not concerned about that. I have nothing to lose. Um, I said, so it has to help somebody at the end of the day. And the second thing was, don't ask me to throw anybody under the bus. I said, and that's just getting pretty blatant with you guys. And, and, and it's not like, I'm not gonna tippy toe around stuff. Um, and, and you know, and they, and they did, they did try. The interviewer tried, he tried and it's his job, but he should have known better. I mean, I, I, I'm not mad at him. I wasn't mad at him for it. I'm like, he's doing his job, but he's not going to get the answer. He's not going to get the answer that, you know, he may want um, because that's not what it was about. It, it was about letting people know that you can be six foot six on the cover of Sports Illustrated, 320 pounds and strong as an ox and be very fragile inside, you know. But a lot of that, experience of being on that side of the camera and then now being on the side of the camera I want to be on, I think has helped as far as understanding, especially when I shoot anybody in athletics. Um, I understand, like I have a good idea of their mindset or what they're thinking. It doesn't matter. It, it, it could be women's lacrosse. It doesn't matter. It could be at the high school level. It could be at the pro level. It doesn't matter. Um, very few people, like I'm interested in their story. I'm interested in, that's what I'm interested in pulling out of them. Uh, and, and I found that if I, and this was for me, this was my thought process. If I wanna be a great photographer and whatever definition that is for me might be different for you or for a lot of people is I really wanna be the best photographer I'm capable of being with my, with my own personal life experiences because they mesh into all my images. Right. And, and, and a lot of them are dark, but there's a lot that are light. And then there's the in-between ones and that's what makes a style. And I wanted to know as many different tools of photography that I could, so I could have as many options as I wanted to create the feelings and emotions and moods um, for the final image. Right. Because the, more, the better you know your tool, or tools and your craft or the toolbox and all those hours of Photoshop and, and editing and all this and all that, you under, you start to understand what you're capable of doing and it gives you more options. Um, I found when I limited myself, I was like, well, that's impossible because I don't, you know, I, it's, it's either impossible because I don't know it. I'm not willing to learn it or it's just impossible to do, although it is possible. I just right. don't know it yet right. because I don't know the tools. So I just went, you know, uh, you know, with reckless abandon into, you know, hey, learn everything from the kindergarten kind of on as far as photography goes. Learn as much as I need to know for the style that I want to do. And, and, and I still, that probably leaves me at knowing 20% of Photoshop. Right because I don't need to know a lot of the rest of that stuff because I'm not a graphic designer or, or right. certain other things that I don't need to know. If, if I need that, I'll get a graphic designer to do it. Right, right. And, and that's the whole thing. There are people who, there are people who take Photoshop and, they, and they've learned it in college 
high school, even high school sometimes mm -hmm. if you if you went to a tech school and you you had graphic graphic design in high school as in, in my high school had a lot of people did that and you you take it and you you learn this thing right there's this amazing thing that Photoshop is that I don't hardly ever touch. Mm -hmm. I don't hardly ever go into Photoshop. I use Lightroom mm -hmm. because my idea of being a great photographer is telling the story truthfully, raw and sincere. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You mm -hmm. know, and I've had the opportunity to be part of some different things and not really knowing if I knew. And thankfully I didn't. Like I shot this Halloween concept shoot in, shoot in 2013 and it just came out so well and so real because I never worried about not knowing. Right. I put myself in a position, you know, I had a, I had a tripod with my, with my uh, wireless flash on there. I had a, you know, uh, I had a, uh, a wireless remote on it and yeah. I had a little softbox. It okay. was this little softbox yeah. just to diffuse the light a little bit. Right. And I got some of the best photos because I never worried about that. I set my camera upright, had it, you know, at like one twenty-fifth of a second or whatever, and shooting in manual on, on my on my flash. But I wasn't worried about if I didn't get it right. I was worried. I, I the only thing I was worried about was getting a good image <laughs> of these amazing women right. and my friend Samuel who were dressed up as vampires. And it was just, it was it was surreal when I got back to the computer and I sat down in Lightroom and I looked at these images and I was in awe of the work that I had done. That's and I think cool. that that's a great thing to do as well is, is not to be so full of yourself that you think you should get those images, right. that you're in awe of these images when you get them back and you're like, all right, cool. I, I, I did things well. Like right. I did things well. I put myself in a position to shoot this well, right? you know, yeah. as opposed to, oh, this sucks because I know better than this. And, but I feel myself doing that a little bit now is because I'm better. You know, when you, you know, you know something. So well, your expectation, you expect, more. You expect, right, more, I expect more from myself. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, my, I shot this wedding and my wife was like, these are really great, Alan. And I'm like, they suck. <laughs> they suck. But they didn't. They didn't suck. Uh, my expectations of, of how I wanted to do it are so high now mm -hmm. because I want to do it. Yeah. Right. That's the difference. I used the camera before as my therapy to get out of the house, to get out of the way, to, to, to meet new people, to, right. to experience life. And now I actually want to make a living doing it. Now I actually want to help create more revenue and relationships and networking and opportunity to live a life that I didn't even believe was possible before. You know, for the last six years, I've been a stay-at-home dad. I haven't worked a regular job. I've taken photo jobs here and there. I've done, I've done race photography for local 5Ks and things like that. I've, I've done whatever I could get my hands on yeah. to keep myself from getting rusty at it. Sure. But now I know that I have a partner in my wife mm -hmm. who's actually been through a lot more than I've been through because she's the first IVF baby born in the United States. Incredible. And so when she looks at me every day and every 10 minutes, she says, I love you. Like she's literally every day tells me every 10 minutes, I love you. I appreciate you. Can you give me a hug? I love you. I appreciate you, Alan. These photos are amazing. Like I have to allow that to be true. It doesn't matter if it's true or not, because it is true because I, I, 
I've allowed myself to let her love me and her son to love me. And he hugs me every day and he tells me he loves me and he looks at my photography and he says, it's great. And I got him a camera and we go out shooting and he's better than me. <laughs> it's like, that's not fair. <laughs> because he doesn't have any, any, he doesn't have any barometer. Right. He just looks at something and pulls the trigger and then he'll shoot like 16 shots of the same shot. <laughs> and I'm pissed at him for doing that. Cause I got to look through it in Lightroom. But the greatest thing is, He's not. He's not. And I think that that's, that's another great thing is to, is to keep that child. Right? I, the one thing I always told myself is I want to stay that five-year-old child. Don't beat him up too much. Yeah. Don't kick the shit out of him. Let that guy guide you. Let that kid guide you because he always has. Yeah. Let that kid be your guide. Don't step all over him. Don't piss all over him. High five him every chance you get and realize and remember be gentle with him. He's going to get you to where you're going. That's awesome. It's true. It's true. I mean, I even, you know, even that stuff I relate to because that stuff runs through my head all the time. And, it, and I'm so, even to like, yesterday I looked at my Instagram and my last post was three weeks ago. My last photography post. And it was a throwback post of my dog when he was a puppy, when he was 10 weeks old that I did in the studio. And it was like 10 pictures. And it's, it's I mean, they were, how do you, I mean, you couldn't take a bad picture, okay? Because the dog was so cute. And I thought to myself, man, it's been three weeks. Why am I not posting? Like, because my, I'll post about life and stuff on my stories, Instagram stories, but my photography stuff, I, I want to post on my like feet or my stream, like my main board there. Right. So I know the reason why I don't post because if it's not perfect, I'm not putting it up there. And, and that has become a liability to me. It has to be perfect. And I'm starting to understand it doesn't have to be perfect in my eyes because there's a lot of people that will look at something and if it's not perfect for you, it may be perfect for them or they may enjoy it or relate to it or love it or whatever. So I'm making, I'm, I don't want to say I'm forcing myself to, but I'm, I'm going to make myself accountable to do a minimum of one post a day and not stories, but the actual feature. Sure. Um, and, and stuff that directly not has to do with just my life. Like my photography is my life is a big, I mean, it's such a big part of my life, but cause it's easy to forward stuff on stories or to, right. um, you know, go into memories or, or, you know, throw back Thursdays and throw a bunch of stuff up that you've done before because you already know it's up. Right. And, but I want to post, there are so many, I, I literally have so many images that I've never posted and I've edited and, you know, edited and, and not, and, and some of them aren't like what I would consider the super complicated composite. It was just a simple black and white picture of a portrait of a guy or, or a girl or um, for whatever they wanted in the studio. And I'm like that. I mean, I love that picture. It's beautiful. And I'm like, well, why am I not posting it? Right. And so I'm, I'm making a commitment. I'm, I, it's, I can feel that thing in myself being like, it's just a matter of um, not days, not weeks, but it, now it's a matter of just days of when that starts. Uh, because I'm starting- there's an, e there's an easy way for you to do that. Just do right? it. There's a, there's, but there's an easy way for you to, to, 
to give yourself something to do, right? So you're having a hard time with just posting something. So for the next 30 days, from November 1st to November 30th, November 31st, you go outside and you take a photograph. You bring it in, just one photograph. You go outside, you find something interesting to take a photograph of today. This is your one picture from today. Tell, and then you're going to say why you took this picture today. And you edited it and you, you put it on Instagram and you say, I made an impact in my life today because I'm having, a, I'm having a hard time doing this. And this is what I felt taking this photograph. And you're going to feel better because you expressed yourself outworldly. You gave yourself a chance to be vulnerable in that moment by just doing something a little bit different than what you do on a daily basis to create work for somebody else. You know, and there's a lot of times you will create work for yourself, but you'll go out and you'll try to capture the Milky Way and you're going to put three hours into this thing. Well, if you take five minutes out of your day, take your dog with you, even just take a picture of your dog, who cares? For 30 days, you're going to say, I'm Tony Mandrich and I want to make sure you get to see a little bit of me today. Right. Well, that's as, but that's as hard as it is. Well, I'm glad you said the first because that gives me seven days. (laughs) Right. Right. It does. And you can kind of, you can, because I know how your mind works. I know how mine works. You're going to be like, well, I want to kind of have this kind of a say Hmm. in these 30 days. I want to kind of have this kind of a say. So you can control that. You can control your idea and ideals of what that 30 days is going to look like. Yeah. And, and for some reason, uh, there's an intuition in me that I want to make them all black and white. Sure. I you love, know, and, so, uh, I love black and white. I, but unfortunately, with the beauty that is autumn, it's like I'm making really, really vibrant, rich. If you look at my, if you look at my Instagram right now, I am oversharing the shit out of everything. Well, I, like, I hope you see all the lights. <laughs> right, like, but that's the thing. Like, I, like I, I can't pick just one. Right. I went out yesterday morning. We had to get out because um, there was some stuff that the buyer of our house had to do uh, pest inspection because they have a VA loan and um, the appraisal was done yesterday. So we right. had to get out of the house and we had the kid home for homeschooling. So we went over to her parents' house. They only live about five minutes from us, but my father-in-law has MS and he's been in a chair for over 20 years. And so the, the lady who was bathing him was there. So we're like, well, we don't want to walk in. I don't want to have to put my mask on. Sure. We'll just go down to Lemonster State Forest, which is just down the street from them. And so I, Trevor took the dog. I took the camera. Elizabeth kind of hung out in the, and listened to her murder podcast in the car. And uh, <laughs> I, I went out with the uh, 55 to 250 Canon, just a cheap lens, yeah. it's like 249, yeah. whatever, on my, my 70D and just captured what autumn is in central Massachusetts. And when you look at the pictures that I took, I mean, they're, I'm in awe of them. I'm in awe. Uh, yeah, I am. Because, because I think the biggest thing I'm in awe of, and I'm always in awe of it. And I'm awe, I'm in awe of the last 10 years. And I'm in awe of this conversation. I'm in awe of the kind of person I am to allow myself to stop in this moment and to capture whatever that thing was that I was capturing it and capturing it in an interesting way. Like that's the biggest thing I learned as a photographer is framing, framing it, allowing the light to be correct as much as possible. You know, I don't read my, my, my histogram too much, but I want it in the middle. I really want it in the middle. I don't want to have to do too much. I don't want to have to bring too much highlight into it. And I don't want to have to take too much highlight out. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to capture the light the way it is. And then sometimes I'll stick to one or two presets when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I'm like, don't be a dummy. 
I've, I've got like pages of, of different presets about different ways of allowing the rich colors, especially of autumn to come out in a photograph. And so I'll just scroll through. I was like, Oh no, no I need to go up higher on my thing. And, and right. there's different ones up there that, um, you know, I have some Scott Kelby stuff. I have some RC stuff, you know, that I've gotten from them for free and stuff. Right. And so I just kind of scrolled through and there was this really rich and Brown and orange and red, like Kodak film. Right, almost. Right. Like, right. And if you look at my Instagram at Alan Shearer Photographer, it, it shows that. That's awesome. There's a piece of me that wishes I lived in like beside Ansel Adams hmm. because he had to work. Yeah. He had to work for a photo. We just put a card in the thing and just shoot. Yeah. Right. He had to, he had to get his four by five set up way before the sunlight way before the golden hour. I think, and if he missed it, he missed it. Yeah, and I think that the, the photographers of that era, um, they understood the camera better and they understood light better. Right. Uh, the majority of them did. Right. I think now a lot of people uh, will just shoot, 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 like shoot you know, 300 pictures, right. knowing they're gonna get two or three good ones and then post those, right? right. Well, it's like, and, and there's nothing, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. There's we have the wrong. ability to do that now. Right. And the thing is, it's affordable. It's, it's good quality. And for me, it's like out of those two or three that I that I choose that I like, it's like, do I know what I did to create those two or three to separate them from the rest? And if the answer is no, then what did I really learn? Right. You know, I didn't learn anything about photography, but you know what? They, that person still could have had a good experience being out in nature or doing right. whatever. It's whatever they take from it. Right. For me and you, or you and I, we look at it in similar ways, in a lot of ways of, I, I want this to be the best damn leaf that fell off a tree that ever was right. in, you know, in Massachusetts right. or wherever, right. you know, and it's, uh, and sometimes we are too hard on ourselves. No, and I, and I think that it's a good thing though. It's like, I, I do know pretty much everything about my camera. Right. I just don't practice enough when I need to, when it comes to using those pieces of the camera that we don't use every day, when you're shooting street photography or, you know, you're just, you know, you're going out there, travel photography and whatever, you just, you just put it on 400 ISO, you, you put it on, you know, um, aperture priority and you go to work, right? You go to work. That's what you do when you're, when you're out there and you want to capture that old person hanging out on the street side or whatever, you just go to work. That's those what you do. Price, those are priceless. Too. Right. You go to work. And so it's when the, you have those moments when the lighting's right in the morning or at night where you can actually set your camera up for success. You need to, right. I get caught in, I can just put it on here and I'm going to frame this thing to a point where it may be a little overblown in the, in the highlights above the, you know, the clouds or above the, uh, tree line or whatever. All right, cool. I can fix that in Lightroom. Or I have the time right now. Why am I worried about the 18th or 20th or 200th picture I'm shooting? Why don't I worry right now about this moment I'm in? And, and, and this is kind of a metaphor for life. Why don't I be in this moment? Yeah. Figure out what it's going to take that I don't have to do too much in Lightroom to make this any more than it already is in the camera. Exactly. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes because I love shooting. I love shooting. Yeah. And it forces you, though, to uh, stop and think about compositions. Like you said, stop and think about your, you know, what settings you're going to use. And, and you know why, because you've done it enough. Um, and it eliminates so much of that post-production work. 
Um, you know, yeah, you might bump contrast or saturation a little bit, but that's all. And, 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 you know, outputting, you might do a little bit of sharpening, sharpening, but that's almost by default, just because of the nature of pixels. Um, uh, but that's, that's fascinating. Um, I, what is the biggest takeaway that you've gotten from a photographer? Like, like, uh, you know, I know you've interviewed Peter Hurley, who's a, you know, he's an, he's an icon in the industry, um, right. what he does, and he's extremely good at what he does. Uh, and I, I love his personality. He's very animated and, and um, he's learned, I think, how to turn some of his vices into virtues right. and, and he's done it very well. Um, but we all have vices, you know, and it's just a matter of how we harness them. Um, but what, what would you say is like something interesting? It may not be the, like the best thing that you learn, but something that you like feel that, you know, this is something I didn't even think about or, you know, um, as far as photography goes. Um, and, you know, whether it was from Peter Hurley or whether it was something you were at a, you know, Scott Kelby thing or, or I'm curious to know um, because, because I know I'll learn from it. I think I think the big, the big I think the biggest thing I've learned from all of them I think what I've learned from you I've learned from everyone from because I, I want to listen I want to be better I need mentors like I need people better than me I need to be in a room where more more or all people are better than me if I'm you know as I've, I've realized that if I'm the smartest person in the room I need to change rooms yeah, right never stop you know, I don't make enough money as a photographer right now. Not enough people are buying my work, but my story is my story. My story is my story. It's real. It's uniquely mine. It's not better than yours. It's just uniquely mine. And if I didn't pick up a camera, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. I would not have. If I didn't find a creative outlet to feel better about myself, to be able to share something of value with the world around me, we need that stuff. We can't hide. We can't destroy ourselves and destroy others because others are actually getting out there and, and, and accomplishing things. And we're pissed off that we're not. Right. We don't get mad at other people because they're worse than us. Mad we get mad at ourselves because we're not doing what they're doing. Yeah. And so my goal this year was to become a professional photographer. You know, I do photography jobs, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. My goal, once I realized that my wife wasn't going to make as much money as she should be because she's one of the most talented social media experts, uh, fundraisers in the, in the industry. And people are asking people to take far less money right now. And it's, so I was like, I would like to become a person of purpose, a person of substance with my camera, as much as I've learned to become a person of substance and passion and purpose without it now, you know, I needed that camera for so yeah. long. I needed that camera to be part of situations. I needed that camera to be part of family situations because I had that, right? I could get behind it and I could do something good with it, right? I could create, I could create a picture of something I'm looking at, right? My, I've always tried to get between the moments. I want to see the passion, the purpose, the energy, the exuberance of life between the moments. And I think that's what sets me apart from other people is that I'm not looking for what everybody else is seeing. Right. I want to capture what you were looking at, but you didn't see. Right. 
So my whole thing this year going into next year is to like, I would like to be, you know, taking pictures for the Red Sox, for the, for the Bruins. I, I want to be someone that somebody can call on the phone and say, I got a problem. Well, I can solve it. How can I solve it? I can be there and I can take these photographs. You know, I, I've built myself up in the past 10 years to be a person that you can trust, that you can count on that, that, but because I can, I realize now that I can trust me that I'm going to do things that are tough. A lot of people are like, how can you make that decision? Well, I've been thinking about it for the past you know, <laughs> right. five weeks about what needs to get done. If I choose to make a decision, I'm not just, I used to fly by the seat of my pants. So I understand how quickly to, to, to think things through and I'm not afraid to make a decision because I'm going to learn from it if it's bad yeah. and I'm going to um, prosper from it if it's good, but I'm not afraid to make a decision. Like, unfortunately, this year, because Elizabeth had to take a $30,000 pay cut, we had to sell our house. And so we have to pay off our debt and we're going to have to downsize and do all those things. And we could get we could we, we could bitch, moan, whine and complain about where we are right now. But six years ago, I, I couldn't tell you that I'd be married to the most amazing human being I've ever met in my entire life. And she is. And, and I, I, I married up. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's just it really is awesome when you think like, yeah, when you think back on your life, right? Or even and even in recent life, like 10 years, like 10 years ago was not that long ago. And then when you see the things that have happened in 10 years, you're like, Are you kidding me? Right. Like I said, if I if if you had talked to me before I made that decision on January 4th, like if you had talked to me before that girl left, if you had talked to me and you said, Alan, I know your future, I would have said, No, you're wrong, and I would have done everything in my power to screw it up. Now I understand what love is. I understand what acceptance is, appreciation, value, real value for life. Like I want things, but I want things that are valuable and important that I can use. I want money, but I don't want money so I can have stuff. I want money so I can build my life and build other people's lives as well. I want photography jobs because I know that when I do that job, I'm going to look back on it and I'm going to say, we're both better off. Me and my client are both better off because of what we did to get those photographs and who we became after that, what kind of friends we became, what kind of uh, coworkers and friends, yeah. right? Like you're my friend, Tony, yeah. you're my friend. And, and, and I haven't known you that long. And, you know, you, you said to me, I'm sorry, Alan, I, I haven't been able to reach out and talk to you in a few weeks. I've been balls to the wall. I'm glad you're balls to the wall. I'm glad you're not sitting around waiting for something to do. You know, I, I would never begrudge anybody their life. Your life is your life. And if you can't reach out to me and, and that's fine, because I'm going to keep reaching out to you and just let you know, I'm thinking about you too. That's what friends do. And we could be better friends to each other if we realize that not, Every missed call, missed text, missed email, missed Instagram message is on purpose. Right. <laughs> that's where we get sensitive. I think that's where I, I but I've had to get there, right? Because you, yeah. you, you, you like, well, you don't value me. Exactly. You don't value not me. important enough for you to answer. Right. But no, I, I've learned to value me. So if I'm not getting a, if I'm not getting a response from you, okay well guess what i'm gonna pick up my camera or i'm gonna put my running shoes on or i'm gonna go downstairs and i'm gonna bust out a workout and i'm gonna feel better about myself and if you still didn't say anything back to me i'm gonna say hey tony check out this photograph right. and you're gonna say that's all i can do right now right but wow great job 
right? And that's what it's, we're not, nobody is suffering any less than anybody else. And we all don't have the vulnerability and reliability inside of us to realize you need that from us if you don't actually tell us blatantly that you need something. Right. Yeah. How, because uh, we don't have ESP. I mean, we can't read your mind. Right. right? And I think and, that that's people, the hard part. And, and I have to remember people can't read my mind. Right. And if I'm, I could be in that crowd of people of three or four and be like really hurting inside, but I can put on a happy face. Right. That's awesome. Um, what's the, there's, there's a couple links I want to get from you or sure. how people can get a hold of you or, or buy your work. Um, sure. So for photography, where would they go? What website or social media? Sure. So I, I just started a new website. It's uh, alanshearphoto.com. And so you can, you're going to get my blog. You're going to get uh, portfolio, fine art prints, things like that. There's, there's links in there to click to my yourartgallery.com. Uh, online art gallery where I put all my work to be bought. Okay. And I've had a chance to actually see it myself and I'm in awe of how they bring it to you. Like that's what, that's the most important thing to me. Yeah. If somebody's printing out my work and sending it to you and I don't get to touch it, I, it needs to be top of the line, top quality uh, museum art gallery grade. And I can't give you, and if you're a photographer, I highly recommend for the price point, it's only $9.98 a month and you can put a hundred up. I'm so glad I did it. Like that was the hard part is, the hard part is putting my work out there because I, I my heart breaks easy, but like I realize now. Instagram. It's right. kind of like posting on Instagram. Right. It's like right. those things though. So if you want to get my work, you can go right into my website. If you click on the either the gallery page or the um, portfolio page, you can find my fine art prints and you can actually just click on one of those. It'll bring you right to the, awesome. to the, uh, to the shopping link for you to get it. And I do it on canvas on metal uh, just as a print. If you don't have a lot of cash right now or as a matted printed nice. um, framed, piece and it's it's the highest quality out in new york and um you know i've had a few a few opportunities to actually deal with them because of the coronavirus and I had a, a couple of things where uh, one piece was shipped wrong to a client of mine and then one piece was shipped uh broken okay and they've they've done the job like that's the whole thing when you you know you put your work out there you you're not just putting your work out there you're putting yourself out there you're putting this other organization out there um, so I've, I've made sure that, that they're the kind of organization that you want to buy from and that you want to sell from as well. Like when I told you and you're like, wow, this is a really good representation of your work that, that made me even feel better about it, that you oh, thought so. Incredible. It really did. Um, uh, so for the listeners that won't be able to see the video, uh, on YouTube of this podcast, how do you spell your name? I know that they know how to spell photo, but for the website. So, it, so it's, it's, it's A-L-A-N-S-C-H-E-R-E-R. Photo. So like, yeah, .com. And you can find me Alan Shearer, photographer on Instagram. Actually, there's a few different ones on Instagram. I, I do my mental health life. I do my fitness life and I do my photography life because otherwise it would just be haywire. Yeah, yeah. It, would even, it would be more haywire than it already <laughs> is. So you can find what the whole um, normal used to be. <laughs> right. My, my, um, my fitness life, is at strong begins within and my mental health advocacy is uh 
stigmafighter.alanshearer. Uh, my, my goal every day is to help somebody else find, you know, the strength to carry on. And uh, awesome. it's the most important thing. It's the, uh, it's the why. Yeah. It's the why we get out of bed in the morning. That's right. What can I do? Who can I help today? Yep. You know, who, who, who can help me help them? Yeah. Right. And even when they don't like, right. Put it, posting something. Sometimes you're going to help more people than you know, because they're, they're not, most of them aren't going to reach out to you and say, right. wow, right. you got me. Yeah, but yeah. you created that ripple, which creates the wave. Like I said, that creates a tsunami of, of empowerment in this world. And if we empower each other, this <laughs> we're unstoppable. Yeah. We're capable of doing anything. Well, my friend, thank you for being on. Dude. It's, been a, it's been a great conversation. And um, I know I'm going to have you on again, probably in about six months. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll be, have the most of the pandemic behind us. Uh, well, or, hopefully we can do it in person. You know, yeah. I'd like to come out to Arizona and, and do some work out there with you. Uh, I really, I really believe that uh, we can do some things together to help some other people and help each other. Absolutely. Uh, conti- continuously, I think. Uh, I have some stuff that I'll I'll email you about yeah. that I'm going to start doing once. I love the collaboration. Once we get situated wherever we wherever we really land uh, from here, and I and I got some really good ideas, and 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 I think we can we can do some good work together. Awesome. All right, my friend. This will be uh, this will be on Monday. So awesome. Um, I'll shoot you a link and everything to it when it's up and live. It'll be on all the things. Sure. Apple and Spotify and all that stuff. I, I just really appreciate your time, man. I really appreciate you taking time out of your Friday, especially, you know, but um, I learned a lot and uh, I know, I know for a fact at the end of the day, this, this will help a lot of people and it stays up online. So it'll help people right. a year from now that have never listened to it before. Right. Right. So, Some right. When the algorithms change a little bit, exactly. Exactly. It, pop, it pops in somebody else's world who, who uses a hashtag and exactly. And we we we, uh, we we lift them up, and it actually re- helps us remember. Exactly. All right, my friend. All right, I'll talk to you we'll soon. Stay in Great touch. Night. Yeah, we'll stay in touch and um, keep shooting. I'm going to keep shooting and start looking for my November posts. Awesome. I'll <laughs> even do. I'll even do it. With All right, sounds good. Awesome. Brother. I'll talk to you. Right. Soon. Have a good one. Thank you to Alan Shearer and for listening to One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge podcast. For more information on Alan, please visit alanshearerphoto.com. For information on One Man's Ethos, please visit onemansethos.com and follow us on social media under One Man's Ethos. Also follow Tony on Instagram at Tony Mandridge and on Twitter at Tony underscore Mandridge. You can also check out Tony's photographs at TonyMandridge.com. One Man's Ethos is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information on podcasts, events, and subscription boxes, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on social media under The Abstract Athlete. Join Tony next time when he welcomes Errol Dobler, author, former Navy SEAL, former FBI special agent, and Wim Hof Method instructor.